bathed in computer animated action, infused with island violence, and full of 1930s soul. It's Peter Jackson's King Kong. Got that soul, baby. Nineteen thirty soul, baby. Welcome back to the Monsters vs. Men podcast, the bargain basement of monster podcasting. This week, as we try to stay alive, we're discussing Peter Jackson's King Kong from two thousand five. I'm Eric. And I'm Alex. And Alex, I'm excited for this week's uh, episode. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> there, there's a lot. There's a lot. We're gonna miss things, like big things, but. Of course. I yeah. mean, with a movie this size, how can you not? But I, I'm yeah. really excited about this one. We're going to. We're going to miss some things, but I, I think we'll have more of a... We'll we'll keep the discussion going today in MVM Plus. So whatever we don't cover, we'll try to cover some more in MVM Plus. Uh, but hopefully we'll cover the main points in this episode. Um, but, you know, just a couple things before we get started. Uh, I'm a big Peter Jackson fan, actually. Like, I love The Lord of the Rings. Um, I love some of his more obscure films. Like I love Brain Dead. I don't know if you ever have you ever seen Brain Dead. Yeah, yeah. You you actually got me to watch it back in college. Yeah, Brain Dead's awesome, right? It's um, awesome. It's great. The lawnmower scene, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I I love Peter Jackson, so I've been excited to revisit this one. Um, I haven't seen it. Since it came out. Yeah. I, I, I uh, forgot I how I, big of a fan you are of Mortal Engines. <laughs> <laughs> Not a Mortal Engines fan, <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> but I do like Peter Jackson. <laughs> uh, but no, it's been 15 years since I've seen this. Uh, yeah, I, so it, it's been a while. I remember the last time I saw it was in 2000. Probably eight, early 2009, I watched it while in college. I was an RA and I was working the front office and I watched the ultimate. I watched the extended cut for the first time while I was working at the front. Nice. So, yeah, I, it's been that long since I've seen this thing. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. Been a while. 12 to 13 well, years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. We we will get, uh, we'll do another patron AMA next week, Alex. I think we have one left. Uh so if, if you're a patron, you can feel free to send us more. We'd love to cover them. But we'll, we'll do that one next week, Alex. But let's go ahead and jump into our film introduction today. Let's do it. Strong film remakes are often called love letters to their originals when they borrow the characters and tone. And in this case, I think the cliche certainly fits. Um, you can just sense the adoration that Peter Jackson and his team have for the original down to its finer details. Now, we've talked a bit about remakes during the series, especially when we looked at 1976 Kong. So let's start with this question. Is this a better remake? Not necessarily a film yet, but is it a better remake of the 1933 original? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hands down. I mean, it's not even close. The, uh, this is definitely one of the best remakes of all time. Even if you're just talking about getting tone, setting, and general spirit of the original film. the uh, Kong 2005 just knocks all of these factors out of the park. 
And then it goes ahead and crushes it with a gorilla-sized bat. Like, so much so that I think it would be reasonable for someone to say that this film is even better than the original. Now, I don't know if I'm quite ready to make that argument, but it would certainly be easy to sell me on it. I could probably sell it on you, but I don't think I will, but I think I could. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I think you're right. As far as the setting, spirit, and tone of this film, uh, it is all those things uh, for for the 1933 uh, King Kong, right? It captures all of those elements. You could call this quite a dark movie, even like an island horror movie. But honestly, mm. that's just what the original was, right? Which is, I think it's far more brutal. The original is far more brutal than people even realize. Um, there's also that same sense of scope and wonder. Uh, and, and I think another aspect in, in which it kind of does something that the original did is in its work with CGI. Now, obviously, the 1933 film didn't use CGI. And honestly, I'm not a huge CGI fa- fan. Right. But uh, and in this film, I do think the CGI can be over the top. There are a few scenes that, despite their ambition, fall short. Yes. I'm thinking about the stampede scene yep. in particular. That's, that's um, the weakest scene visually. It is. And it, it tries hard. It tries really hard to get it right. Um but I don't think it quite does. But the word I just mentioned, ambition, that's the aspect of this film that I think mirrors the original. The CGI is truly groundbreaking for what it is. Whether or not you like CGI, that CGI is groundbreaking, just as the effects of the 33 Kong were revolutionary. Um, mm-hmm. Now, another question I have for you, Alex. You wanted us to watch the extended edition yes. so much, the ultimate edition, that you rented it for me. <laughs> so, so why the extended edition? And did you think the additions were worth it? Uh, yes, <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, my favorite edition of all of them is the Triceratops scene. For one, it immediately sets the tone in this awesome way in the jungle. Just absolutely love this whole sequence. It's fun, and it's just really perfect callback to the original and their first dinosaur encounter, which I just I love it. Um, and I really like how hey the how the characters just interact, and it just oh, man, I just love the sequence so much. I like the way that <laughs> Hayes uh, just takes out the Triceratops all by himself. I love yeah. uh, Denim's reaction to the whole thing going down. It's just, it's an excellent sequence that I'm really, I don't know why that one was cut. Um, what, what did you think of that time. sequence? No, I, I like that one. That one's probably the probably, probably my favorite of the added sequences. Yes, um, I, I agree. And it's also, like, it's it feels, was it Son of Kong that had a Triceratops in it? Uh, I like did. that callback. I think, no, wait, the, you're right. The first, the original Kong had a Stegosaurus that they took out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but the the scene still mirrored it in a lot of ways until and how it came at the frame and everything about it. Um, but yeah, it was Son of Kong that had the Triceratops. Mm-hmm. No, I love I love that scene though. Good good scene. Yeah, <laughs> and then the the other the big addition. This is the one that really added to the bulk of the extra twelve to thirteen minutes. Was the raft scene where they're attacked by the menacing fish? It's like the cross between a fish or a tadpole and an angler fish almost. Mm-hmm. And the sequence, while a little overlong, it is still really harrowing. And it ends on that note that makes the whole scene worth it for me. And Denim 
he he films the final victim of the fish get eaten alive. And he just rolls the camera. Now, he just happens to turn it on. But when the guy gets attacked, he keeps rolling. And I just really love that moment and how it paints his character. Mm-hmm. But I do think that that's maybe one of the weaker additions to it. What, it's, what, it's long. It yeah, is long. It is long. But it is it, it does add to this horrific tone. That's one of the most horrifying scenes of the movie. Yeah. And then we get a few other additions. Those are the really the two big ones. We get the the Kong chase scene after he gets into the exterior of the island when they try to capture him initially. Mm. There's a little more damage that he does and he chases them for a little bit longer, which I like. Uh, anything mm-hmm. more Kong is a good thing in this film, I feel like. Um, and then really the only other standout scene other than a few additional seconds elsewhere is the, uh, the sergeant he's in the van with all the troops and they're talking about how they're going to kick this monkey's butt. And (laughs) while he's hyping them up, Kong just kills all of them. It was was a funny scene. (laughs) And that, that entire scene is not in the, uh, original film. Now, do you think these additions are necessary, unnecessary, or are they unnecessary, but you're glad they were there? Well, that last one, that one probably wasn't cut for time. It was probably cut just because of the tone of the film overall, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, but, but no, I, you know, I like the ones that you mentioned. I, I do think, I know people complain about the length of this film. It, it is long. Yeah. Um and so I, I don't know. I, I think you could probably rearrange a couple things. Uh, I like that Raph scene because I do think it's pretty horrifying. But I like the Triceratops scene as well. I, I liked them in there. And, and just, you know, when I think, and I hear that complaint about the film being too long. Um, and some people say it just takes too long to get to Skull Island. I don't know if that's the case, honestly. Yeah, I, I don't agree <laughs> like with that, it, yeah. If you look at the ratio of time to get to Skull Island in the original, you'll realize this film actually takes less time to get there uh, overall, right. right? Based on the lengths of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I do think I probably would take out that raft scene or find a way to replace that raft scene with the stampede scene. Um, because I also like that final dinner moment we got there uh, where he just has the film rolling. Oh, it's uh, so good. That one, that one is good. Uh, yeah, I'm tempted to say that our time on Skull Island specifically is too long. But really, I just don't know if that's the case because all of Skull Island is so horrific that it really <laughs> contrasts with the New York scenes, which I actually I do prefer the New York scenes. But I think they stand out more because of all of the horror that we just went through on Skull Island. Mm-hmm. Um, but the New York scenes in general, they feel a little bit more uh, realized and sharp to me. Yeah, and they really, they really do. Uh, so, the pacing of this film, uh, I was really worried. Really worried about the pacing in this film, right? Because, like you said, it's it's a long movie. And, you know, we got families. It's going to be hard <laughs> to cram a three-hour-plus movie in at night without staying up really late. And, you know... I, you and me, or I, I had the intention of watching half of it one day and half of it another. Something I absolutely hate to do. I hate breaking up a movie. I've had to do it a couple times for the podcast, and it kills me when I have to do it. But despite this one, 
starting really late for me. It had me glued the whole time. I kept looking for good stopping points, and honestly, I could not find one. You could say that Skull Island may overstay its welcome, but I'm so genuinely interested in that entire world and the creatures in it. Like, I love that there is a city inside the wall, and it's clear that that city existed probably longer than what's outside of it. And it's, that's just so interesting to me. And then we have all this, all these animals clashing all at the exact same time. And it's clear, it's like, there's there's a reason humans can't live here anymore. Because they just got eaten. <laughs> just mm-hmm. all of them just got eaten. And so, you, you could say that it overstays its welcome, but honestly, I, as soon as I'm getting ready to get tired of Skull Island, we get that one of the greatest action sequences of all time, the V-Rex Kong fight. That thing is absolutely phenomenal. It, and it has the same energy as the original film in terms of Kong's physicality, but I absolutely loved every single moment. It's so beautifully choreographed. It's tense with all of Kong's catching of Anne with his feet. Like every single <laughs> every single way he could catch her, he did, except for with mm-hmm. his teeth, probably. Felt and bad it, for Anne, I gotta say. Right, right. She's just getting tossed <laughs> like, around. <"Gee."> and <laughs> that Man. moment where she is hanging by the vines with the V-Rex and it looks like she's oh, safe geez. away from it. And then she looks and that <laughs> and one starts like, swinging. starts swinging. I absolutely, it's hilarious and absolutely horrifying. Oh, yeah. It <laughs> really is. is. It's, yeah. The whole sequence is like this just beautiful work of art. And it ends on that callback to... Almost every mm. Kong movie, the playing with the jaw, and it's just, yeah. uh, gu- yeah. I can't help but gush over it. <laughs> no, I, I like your use of the word physicality there, um, because you, like the films that we've seen since 33 and since Son of Kong, Son of Kong did have some physicality to it. Um, they, they can't match mm-hmm. the physicality of those originals, and that's a problem with Kong, but this one does in a different way, different technology but it does match that physicality. Uh, You're absolutely right. Uh, Another point I wanted to bring up, I had had a good conversation with a friend of the show, Andrew Roebuck, um, about this film's treatment of the natives, which I do find interesting, but problematic. So we haven't really touched on this aspect of prior films, but I do want to mention it here because, you know, despite a little bit of criticism that I'm going to put the film's way. Trust me, Alex, I'll end up coming back to something positive, but I do think we, we need to mention it. I'm curious what you think about it. So first the negative, I, I think this film participates in the long lasting legacy of otherization of the native, which has been occurring for a long time. since at least the 1500s with Cabeza de Vaca's conquest of the new world. And probably before, if we're being honest, right? Yeah. Essentially making the native, the other, you know, you paint them as less human. And we still see this happening all the time. And it becomes even more problematic when it results in violence. Now, initially, I looked at this film's depiction of the natives. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, man, this film goes to such an extreme with these humans that it makes them almost into monsters and and Mm -hmm. less caricatures. And by being less of a caricature, is that less of a problem? But then I think, no, because they are still human. And, you know, if it becomes less of a caricature, then it actually is starting to become more of a prop, which is still problematic. Um, they are horrific. Like, they, they are scary. They add to the tone 
of the the island. Uh, and so I think it's it's interesting to see that. It's like I don't know Peter Jackson <laughs> at the end of the day is try. It seems like he's he's calling back to the orcs of his Lord of the Rings series, but they're not orcs; they're humans. Mm. And so I find that problematic. Um, but yeah, I, it's also interesting to compare the natives that we actually see on the island to the ones, the caricatures, where we do get the caricatures of the ones we see in the New York performance later on, um, which is Andrew reminded me, is actually like a beat-by-beat beat performance of the original depiction yes. of that scene, which is which is fascinating. Um, yeah, and, and, you, I think there and you, couple- noticed, you noticed what movie he was filming, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. No, I love that scene uh, with, with Anne. You know, it's, yes. it's the beat-by-beat, beat, her and Jack from the original. Yes. And that's <laughs> why great. I love it is that he's, he's just filming King Kong the whole time. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so good. Um, now there are a few approaches I actually think could have humanized the natives, uh, but we just don't see it. We don't see it in this film. Um, unfortunately, but as I said, I, I want to turn that negative into something pretty positive about this film. And it's the fact that this film is a hundred percent about exactly the opposite of what is portrayed in those scenes. This film is about Anne embracing that, which she does not understand and embracing the mystery of consciousness within, within all living things. You know, I would go so far as to say that this film by far gives us the best Anne Kong relationship oh. of any Kong movie. It's not, even uh, close. it's not that weirdly sexual type of thing. Like in 76, <laughs> it's not the non-existent one in 33. Yeah. It's not even the sympathy, which I think we see in son of Kong. There's real empathy here uh, that actually did have some emotion behind it. And I know some, the emotion doesn't work for everyone, Ooh. but it definitely worked for yeah. me. It works um, for me too. And that's what makes the treatment treatment of the native feel a little bit more bizarre to me. Um, I, I think you just, I don't think you need them. I don't think you mm. need the native in this film. And you huh. can maybe add in that raft scene, <laughs> right? Uh, add in that scene. You don't need the native and you can still create a horrifying island adventure right um yeah what'd you think yeah i mean i mean i i know i know jackson based their culture uh after studying some of the more tribalistic island cultures around the area yeah so he did base it off of things that he had researched or maybe i don't know if he'd seen anything himself and the location of the area is in micronesia and mm-hmm. that's, I mean, we we all have ge- uh, geographical differences with each other in terms of our locations. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. But, um, and I think you can make an argument that insanity is a very real possibility living in those types of conditions. Yeah, with I, monsters I, I like that constantly hunting you. All these people clearly are starving. Honestly, yes. Um, so, and they've wasted away. So I think when I look at it that way, when you have starving people who are constantly hunt, hunted by monsters, like we saw the, all the all the spiders and all those things, those are horrifying. So to yeah. be hunted by these things that have possibly wiped out their old civilization, it's it's clear that there's just not a whole lot of sanity left. I agree. I, I, I think we can see that. I think you can make that point. I don't know if the film shows that connection. Yeah, you know, we uh, you show me the, the mockumentary about this film. 
Uh, and it mentioned this quote from kind of like um, a, a fake expedition, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. Um, and it, it, this quote was funny. It is, it's from this fake expedition, but I think it kind of gets to this point we're talking about. It says, to see, and it's talking about the natives of the island, the Skull Island natives, to see mankind reduced to such a state, rodent-like, fearful, and small, is humbling. Man is no hunter here. He is prey, right? Um, now, like the first part of that quote goes into that otherization, you know, where it's talked about, you know, that they're rodent-like. You could say that could be kind of creating them to be less than human. But that part there, I think, is telling where it says man is no hunter here. He is prey. Uh, whereas like like these people are living in fear for their lives. Um, mm-hmm. I think that would be one solution to actually show that. The problem is I don't think the film does show that. They become more of a way to horrify uh, our crew and rather they are than horrifying. A if we're being honest, Peter Jackson they, no, succeeded they are. in making them absolutely terrifying. <laughs> they are, yeah, exactly. No, I agree. Like they are horrifying and they do horrify um, our crew. Uh, for sure. Yeah. But I think, I think if they, they made that connection more clear, um, they, they gave the, the, they could give them a little bit humanity uh, and, and avoid that otherization that we've mentioned. Uh, but yeah. as I said, though, like the, the rest of the film does exactly a hundred percent the opposite. So uh, yeah. it's something I can live with. I, for me, I think it works within the context of this film. Now, if you did this and, We've seen this done poorly in other films, and it's clearly not okay, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I am actually okay with this portrayal in this film for me. Gotcha. Uh, anything else that you would criticize in this film? Yeah, so I, I feel like I've got to give it some sort of criticism because I'm pretty high on it, uh, and I, like, I haven't even talked about New York. Like, I, I absolutely love New York, but anyway. This criticism actually holds true for both versions of the film. Uh, the extended version may exacerbate it a bit, but there is no clear sense of who is dying and who is not during any of the film. Mm-hmm. It seems like everyone is dying all the time. And then afterwards, they do like a head count and only three people died or one person died with four injuries. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, there are numerous times I was like, "Did Colin Hanks' character die?" And then, sure I enough, swear he, he pop- died like three times. He pops up like five <laughs> minutes later. I'm like, "Oh, I guess he's still alive." Like, <laughs> I thought he died too. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like I can't tell you how many times I thought that character died, and I was like, I, yeah. "It's kind of weird we didn't get that close up of him dying." But I guess he's gone, and then he just shows up later. Yeah, yeah. No, I, no, I'm right <laughs> with you. Cool. Uh, well, Alex, on MVM Plus today, I already said I want to extend this conversation a little bit, uh, maybe get into more of these finer details. Uh, you said you want to talk about more about New York. I want to talk about the last line of the film, which I didn't love it. I didn't love it. And, I, and I'll tell you why in MVM Plus. But also, I want to talk a little bit about WandaVision, which, which as I told you this week, I think might just be a bit overhyped. You got uh, Use a different You can word. tell me why it's not. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell me why it's not. I'm triggered over here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, Alex. Shall we oh. hear from the Gwendar? Gwendar. 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 I gotta show you this scene with Mrs. 
This is King Kong, okay? You see him? I see him. I see King Kong. All right. So the scene that I'm showing Gwen is the one where he has Anne dance on the stage. I thought he might like it. Or I thought she might like seeing him laugh. Look at him. She said that thing now. That's King Kong. Yep. King Kong is a doula. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a gorilla. Yes. You're right. He said you more like the lion? He does kind of roar like the lion, doesn't he? Uh, you want to see, do you want to see King Kong laugh? Yeah. All right. All right. Uh. He's laughing. Do you like it when King Kong laughs? Yeah. I, I like him laughing. And that's the Gwendar. That's the Gwendar. And, and tell you, tell everybody, say, I love you, everybody. I love you, everybody. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. All right. Thank you, Gwen. I want my cupcake. All right. Jumping back in. Thank you to the Gwendar. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into our, our awards. Cool's character award. Alex, who'd you have? Uh, Yeah, I, I got Benjamin Hayes, man. First... <laughs> He's a character that really didn't need to be in the movie. Him and Jimmy both, honestly. Yeah. They probably didn't need to be in the movie, but I am so glad he is. He is so interesting. His relationship with Jimmy is just like A+. Plus. absolutely love that mentor relationship that he has with him. And then in the extended version, he kills a Triceratops single-handedly. His and his confrontation with Kong is also pretty legendary. He's he's like a real hero in this film, and he's one of the few people you can tell genuinely cares about somebody else, which I really like. His character arc is a good example of like a smaller movie within a larger movie, right? Yes. He's got his own character arc and his own story within this larger narrative. And so I, I'm glad you chose him. He is really cool. Um, for me, uh, this is this has got to be a chance to talk about Ann Darrow uh, here. I love the update of her character. She's just so much more empowered here than, in sh- than she was in 1933. And I absolutely love the twist at the end where you think she is appearing in the New York show, like yeah. she's getting ready. But then... Right before the reveal, you find out she doesn't, she didn't sign on with Denim to mm-hmm. exploit Kong. That's absolutely fantastic. It is. Uh, and that's like a great twist on the original. I think makes us like Andero's character even more. Yeah, um, she's and like stellar. Actually, yeah, she's stellar. She, I mean, man, I tell you, that relationship between Anne and Kong, as I said before, it's not weird in a sort of way it's just it's there's a connection like an actual uh emotional connection uh that that is hard to capture but i think this film does which is really impressive i mean i mean i mean a lot goes to that character it does and and this is one of those relationships that makes you look at back at the other ones and go why couldn't you do it like this (laughs) yeah (laughs) right yeah i mean to be fair it's also again a testament to um yeah, it's it's a testament to Andy Circus, I guess, right? And um, uh, the the animation CGI, yeah. you couldn't get that sort of emotion in Kong without that level of technology. 
Um, and without that performance, that performance is, is great. Um, even though he's not my, uh, I can't believe the acting award. We'll get to that in just a second. <laughs> <laughs> what about your most horrible line? So another character, we haven't really talked about characters yet. So this is a great place to talk about characters. Yes. Another character we haven't really talked about much is denim and the updates on denim. Um, <sighs> Which I do, I do appreciate. Like every character here is more more fully fleshed out. But my my favorite line from Denim is "Monsters belong in B movies," <laughs> just because it's funny, right? Like yes. obviously we're we're watching a monster movie here. Uh, Denim doesn't at this point know what he's getting himself mm-hmm. into. And- I, I, I do think we get away from Denim's character a little bit um, towards the end, which I think is unfortunate. Uh, but yeah. Overall, Once we hit New York, we don't see much of them until the very end. Yeah, yeah. But overall, I do like – he's made more – you understand his perspective a little bit more in this film. And yet his dedication to what he's trying to do may be even more maniacal than <laughs> – previous iterations you know so it's interesting (laughs) which is interesting because he starts out as a much more likable version of denim oh yeah i think i I agree because you have sympathy for him right you see you see him struggling like you see the producers not liking his films you want him to succeed and then he has a chance for success things don't seem to be going his way and he just he becomes slowly unlikable (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, mine, mine's from Denim as well because he he has so many great lines in this one. But he says to uh, Jack Driscoll when he doesn't jump off of the ship to go to his meeting about his play that he's creating, he he's mad. He's mad at Denim, and Denim goes, "If you really loved it, you would have jumped." So, <laughs> so and I, lo- I love that yeah, saying that's that. A good one. Denim's like kind of. Denim has an ability to look at people and know how to play them and kind of immediately almost understand them in a way, which I really like. And he, he immediately knows that he, even though Driscoll is passionate about his little passion projects that he really wanted to make the movie. Right. Yeah. Um, Well, what about, what about your can't believe that acting award? Again, it's, it's Jack Black as Denim. Uh, he huh. really sells like this creative artist to me, this creative artist who devolves into madness and constantly lies, I guess. Um, <laughs> that, that that I think that's why I actually think the extended version is the best definitive version. I would, I would only recommend the extended version after watching it because it gives extra little moments of denim just slowly going down this madness rabbit hole. He keeps having these instances where he says that they're making the film for whoever member of their crew just died. We're gonna, we're doing it for whoever, and he keeps saying, "I'm going to donate the proceeds to his family." <laughs> right? He keeps yeah. saying these lines, and it's these moments that are great because I can't tell if he's genuine. He's trying to justify everything that's happened, or what is actually his thought process. And I think that's really a testament to his acting. Hmm. Yeah, there are a couple moments I, I didn't love um, from Jack Black, but overall I thought it was a solid performance, actually. Uh, it's a, a performance you wouldn't expect, or it's a casting choice you wouldn't expect, right? <laughs> to say the least, right? But I, I'll tell you, there's that line um, between 
I can't remember if it was Preston or Jack that says it, but it's 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 in New York at the end where uh, he, I think it's Jack. I think he says something along the lines of, you know, Denim can't see when he's turning something beautiful into a bad thing or, or something along those lines. Oh, yeah, and yeah. He, uh, he destroys like, oh, what he loves or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking Yeah, he, he, he finds ways to destroy what he loves. Yes. And you do see these moments – even early on, we do feel sympathy for Denim. You see moments where, like, he's a little bit unhinged. You know, maybe he has an alcohol problem. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, there's those small moments where you're like, okay, there, there's something up here with this guy. But no, I do think uh, Jack Black is solid. Um, for me, I already mentioned Anne, and and I think Naomi Watts has the best performance of the of the actors here if i'm being honest she's just absolutely fantastic however i want to give a shout out my can't believe that acting award to adrian brody uh, who i just wish was in more movies um i love adrian brody uh the pianist was was one of my favorite films um uh, predators Yeah. No, no, no. The Predator. (laughs) Sorry. The Predator. The Predator. I'm not going to mix up Predators. I'm so sorry, everybody. (laughs) Now, Adrian Brody is the way that he can portray subtle emotions without hardly doing anything is amazing. Like, that sounds kind of like a, it sounds like a bash, but I'm being absolutely serious. Like, he doesn't have to do hardly anything. And he's able to convey some really. Uh, complex emotions mm-hmm. there's that moment again back in new york whenever we get back to new york there's so much that happens in such a shorter time frame i love it so much it feels so sharp it is. Um, there's that moment <laughs> when he's watching his play that he wrote for ann um and he doesn't have to say anything it's just his face and the editing of that scene and it lets you know that jack is struggling with letting ann slip away yeah. Um, we don't need any dialogue there. It's a great example of showing versus telling. And a lot of that has to do with his performance. Uh, and I think that's another one of the more emotional moments in the film. Um, so I, I love Adrian Brody. He needs to be in more films. He really does. <laughs> I, I, when I was watching it, I actually, I, I turned to Cece. I was like, whatever happened to him? Like, we haven't seen him in, in anything, and he is phenomenal. Yeah. He's an absolutely yeah. phenomenal actor. He's he's been in some smaller indie films, uh, but yeah, he is. I mean, he won an Oscar for the pianist, so he's he's. That fantastic. was the first time I'd ever heard of him. Was when he won that. Yeah, yeah he's great. Um, what about your uh, standout effect award? Well, this is going to be an obvious choice. I've already talked about it some, but King Kong's CGI. Yeah. As I said, I'm not a huge CGI fan, uh, and this film feels like 90% CGI. However, I yeah. think the circus performance and, and the CGI is just groundbreaking for the technology um, available. And it makes Kong come alive. You said earlier, physicality. That physicality makes everything feel more authentic than the last few movies we've seen. And it helps add to the emotion of the film at the end. Hmm. Uh, so it's, it's got to be the Kong CGI. Yeah. I mean, it was right around this time that we really hit that threshold where well done CGI begins to feel like it does have heart behind it. Mm-hmm. And it's not, and it, it's no longer this. I mean, it still is even today, but it became, it finally became this. It's not a cop out anymore, or even this mm-hmm. like weird experimentation. This is the soul of a film. Like Jurassic Park did it, but they mix it with practical effects. This is full blown CGI. Yeah. 
and it's just masterfully done. Like, yeah, some of it is aged already. Uh, like you said, the brontosaurus, uh, raptor chase scene mm-hmm. is the worst visually, but most of it will be fine. Like I saw a few shadows on Kong look a little off. Like maybe he was a little higher off the ground than he should have been. And mm-hmm. a few things like that. But really this is it, some of the green screen stuff is a little off, but overall it's, it's killer. I mean, it looks just as good as a, most stuff made today. It looks better yeah. than most stuff made today. And it, it, it's, it's clear that they did do some expert blending of CGI though in certain parts. And that's with the sets. Whenever they did use sets, the groundwork around it and some of the stone architecture that's present looks really great. Like mm. it, it just, the, the sets, the little bit of sets that they do use are wonderful. And that's like, that's my favorite effect. And I did, I did, there was something I noticed during the film and you probably did too, Eric, is that when Kong puts, and down to do her little dancing thing to entertain him. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. that he puts her on a stage. Yeah. And that she yeah. performs on that stage. I, I just, I really like that little detail that I've never picked up before. Yeah, no, I like that. That That's, that's a good uh, point. You know, I actually, so the CGI works for me best. Like overall, it actually works for me best again in the city and not on the island. Uh, on the island feels a little bit too manufactured and it feels a little bit too like on a set for me most of the time. Like I feel like I'm on a set with green screen to be honest. Uh, but the New York, it's interesting how they do the New York scene because it's like everything fits together to create a certain tone of the 1930s. And so even though there is a ton of CGI there, it's all it all comes together in a way that works just a little bit better for me to create that 1930s feel. Um, it is a little bit it does feel a little bit cartoonish in a sense. But I think that adds to the feel. Again, it adds to the tone of those scenes in New York. Yeah. So, the lighting yeah. and stuff, it does feel yeah. like it's just like a little over the top. Like it wouldn't have necessarily been like that. It's almost like it's interesting. It's almost like how we would picture it being back then rather yes. than how it really was. Exactly. It, it, even the sunset shots, which I guess that can lead us to our, Oh, that's a good <laughs> shot of what Alex, because you know, we do have some sunset sunrise shots here. Yeah. Um, one being pretty spectacular. <laughs> the one on, on the top of the empire state building. Right. right. Uh, that's a great shot, but it's a fake, it's a fake sunset, right. Uh, or sunrise. <laughs> it's a fake sunrise. And it's pretty obvious that it's a fake, but again, it's there's an ambiance to that entire city uh, where it does feel like this idealized picture of mm-hmm. what we expect as audience members. So it gets away with it; it works. But believe it or not, Alex, that wasn't my favorite shot. <laughs> uh, my oh, that's a good shot award is what I consider the money shot of the film. And it's of Naomi Watts walking down the street towards Kong, mm. um, you know, where the lighting is behind her. Um, and granted, I, I don't know what she's doing in that dress in midwinter. It feels like I have no idea. <laughs> she's well, got to be freezing. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess she did just leave her job. That's I guess yeah, that's what you're exactly. Go but still, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but I don't know the lighting, the music, the staging. It all sells that moment for me. And it makes it 
pretty powerful in the full scope of this film. She feels angelic in that scene. She's a sense of hope and a sense of peace, which is exactly how Kong sees her, which is why I really do love that shot. Yeah. yeah. What about you, though? Uh, mine's another one involving Anne, and it's that moment where she's having to decide whether or not to go on the ship. And we get that we get that close up of of the ramp from the ship and her her foot just going down, and then it cuts to her arm grabbing the handrail and and or her hand grabbing the handrail and moving on up the ramp. And it's just it's this really nice moment that I really yeah. enjoyed. And I just like the idea of you don't have to show Oliver. You just show her first steps into this journey that is unreal. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good point. Good point. What about your rating and ranking, Eric? Ooh, yeah. Let's get into five. it. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. What you got? <laughs> All right. So I'm tempted to say that King Kong 33 was an action movie with characters, but that this is a character movie with action. But honestly, that wouldn't be true because this is also at its heart a popcorn action flick full of wonder, wonder and awe and spectacle. And, you know, I say that about the characters, though, because they are more embodied here, more believable and relatable. And, for example, becomes becomes less of a damsel and more of a conscious backbone. The action, for the most part, is top notch. As far as CGI is concerned, this still 15 years later is some of the best we've ever seen. And then you've got the legendary Kong v. Rex battle, which is a standout. But there are just so many moments to choose from. Kong's features also help create empathy for Kong instead of sympathy as we get actual glimpses into his mind and emotions that make me feel the most I felt for King Kong and his demise than I felt felt in any of the other films. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some issues, as I've mentioned. Uh, The CGI abundance won't hold up forever. The otherization of the natives is problematic. And yes, as many have said before, the film might be a tad long. But honestly, I could talk about this one for quite a bit more and still feel still feel like I've just scratched the surface. Uh, so this one falls second on my Kong list currently, and I'm giving it a four out of five. Ooh. All right. I mean... I'm with you that it's a it's a stellar film, to be just completely honest. Like that that's it's just a stellar film. Every character mm-hmm. for me feels fully fleshed out. Every moment feels like it's lovingly crafted. The pacing especially is top notch. I mean, I was thinking that once Kong went to New York, I was gonna be able to put the movie down and come back to it the next day. Yeah. But I gave it a couple minutes to hook me into the new setting. And it's just top notch, man. Like, I'm immediately hooked. And I watched it in the last 45 minutes go by so fast. And I think they're the best part of the film. They're, they're, I think the they're last really act good. is the best part of the film. I, yeah. I, I think there's an argument to be made for that for sure. Um, I think, you know, the effects are top notch. They're only aging slightly. They're not going to age a whole lot more. Honestly, we're at a point technology wise where we can pick, we can pick out the bad CG from the good. And uh, until the only thing we need to work on is humans. We humans look awful when we do CGI humans still. (laughs) So that's the only thing we still need to really work on. Um, But I really can't find much to complain about. You know, I have a few nitpicks, but they're just that. They're nitpicks. You know, o- overall, this film is a 4.5 out of 5 for me. 
And after talking about it with you, I'm going to put it at my number one. Nice. I like it. I like it. I'm glad you were bold there. I was going to say, be bold. <laughs> put it at number one. If that's how you feel about it, because I would. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think there, there's, a, there's a case that can be made, for sure. So, all right, Alex. Next week, finally get to watch Kong Skull Island. I've never seen it. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. I love this movie. It's not... I, it's not better than this one, but it is mm-hmm. so fun. And it's not three hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm excited. I am. I am excited for this. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, I've seen the other MonsterVerse movies. Now I have to see this one, right? Oh, um, I might yeah, watch it tonight. I feel like I've waited I'm so excited to watch it. I might watch it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you probably will. You probably will. Did you Did you come up with a rhyme for next week? Uh. I, you know, I wanted to give you honors first this week. Just, yeah, it's just, I'm sure it's know. just that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, go right. ahead, Eric, with your prepared okay, remarks. I, got I hope you, you did I it got this you. week because last week was just, mm. It was pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Skull Island is coming. It's time for MonsterVerse. The action should be humming for better or for worse. Ooh. We shall see. Yeah, that's good. Um. All right. Yeah, so... <laughs> the Kong Skull Island uh, stars Loki. Does it feel hokey, or would I like to stick around and watch Moki? More Moki. Monkey. Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, I've had uh, worse. <laughs> you've had worse. Yeah. Which is saying something, but you've had worse. <laughs> no, it's, it, that was good. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram in MVM underscore pod. On Letterboxd, we're Alex Cornett and Eric Neely. You can email us nvmpod at gmail.com or leave us feedback at nvmpod.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com and receive weekly bonus off-the-cuff episodes. And if you feel so led, leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews really help. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornett. Executive producers are Faye Basier and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, comma, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, Senior Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next week, try to stay alive. It's going to be hard if you're on school. I'm going to try your best. (laughs) You'll probably come back alive like Preston did three times. Or you'll stay on the island and go crazy. True. Let's do it. Strong film makes. <laughs> film makes. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. yeah, it's it's. Still a moving kitty, still a moving kitty. I love you. I love you in the morning. In, in, in the afternoon, still a moving kitty, still a moving kitty. I love you. I love you in the evening and in the morning. Afternoon. That was good, Gwen.